my best friends in the whole world here visiting uh, this Sunday. I can't say enough. I feel like I just want you guys to know how much I love him and how awesome he is. He's incredible. I've known him uh, since late high school. Uh, we used to lead worship over at Bridgeway together. He was on staff there for a little while. Um, he and I kind of experienced a time of renewal together in the spirit, in music, in song. Uh, he was one of the first guys that used to encourage me to write and get in my face about writing. And, uh, and we recorded stuff at his house, and he's just Mr. Creative. Uh, the song we sang this morning, if you didn't know it, uh, it's called Fairer, and we went into Ferris Lord Jesus. That's a song that Josh Banner wrote, and uh, it's always been one of my favorite, favorite worship songs, and so uh, I wanted to kind of embarrass him and tell you guys that uh, today. So, uh, But he, uh, he moved away to Hope College to be their uh, worship pastor at Hope College, and he did that for about six years. Um, and now he's kind of in the midst of starting his own nonprofit where he's doing like spiritual direction and prison ministry. I can't say enough good things. If, if you're at all interested in thinking about this guy after today, I'll make sure I can help you find out information about him. But uh, I just love him so much and, uh, and just ask him to share what's on his heart. Gifted, thoughtful teacher. And so I just pray that you guys open your hearts and minds to what the Lord wants to give us today through Josh. Come on, buddy. It is really good to be home. Some of you might not know that this is my home. Before I get into the word, I feel led to share the story of how I came to be grafted into this spiritual family. I uh, grew up in central Illinois, in the farm there, just north of Champaign-Urbana, the family farm. And when I was 13, my parents took our family to Chattanooga, Tennessee, to Preset Ministries. And that is where I met this guy right here, Josh Bottomley. And then Kay Zahasky met me, and she said, <clears throat> I remember it was in a room uh, with other high school students and uh, we were standing, uh, sitting there, and she was walking around. If you guys know Kay, and she said, "I can see the fire of Jesus in your eyes." And I was like, "Where? Where? Where is the? Where is the fire of Jesus?" So when she told me that I needed to come to boot camp, to this summer camp where we'd study the Bible for 10, 11 days, we'd spend six, eight hours in the Scriptures the age of 14 through 18. It's just crazy. And uh, I ended up being bunkmates with this guy right here. And he would be, we were, there's a trundle bed. And I was on the bottom pull-out bed. And he, he, he leaned over to me. We're 14. And he whispered Isaiah 30, 15 into my ears. In repentance and trust, you will be saved and quietness and rest is your strength. And I could say that my spiritual journey all the way to 43 from 14 is based around that in repentance and in trust. 
you shall be saved and in quietness and peace. I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> you will find rest. You will, you will find your strength. So uh, summer camps there. I eventually was camp counselor. It was Brad's camp counselor. Uh, I was 18, and uh, he was, I think, the same age. But um, he would teach me uh, Beatles songs at night, and um, then we would also sing. Josh and I, at that point, would get up at 5.30 in the morning as high school kids and walk over to a woman's house that lived on the campus there of Precept. Her name is Carol Matthews, and we'd get up, and she was a mystic. I don't know if you know what that means, but that basically she was tapped into the presence of God in a way that spooked us out, and we thought it was amazing, and so we would get up at the crack of dawn before the light was up, and we'd go and sit in her study, and she would teach us to be quiet, to slow down. She'd bring us this starter bread, give us this wonderful homemade bread, and her dog, Socks, would come and lay at our feet, and she would instruct us in listening to God. And that led to me eventually meeting Brock, and then when Brock was at Trinity in Chicago, I wanted to go to Wheaton College because I knew that I could be with my big brother up there. And so I was at the Evanston Vineyard with him throughout my four years of undergrad. And I wanted to graduate early and go plant a, uh, a buster. Let's see, we had the, the boomer churches and we had the busters. I went forward. Those of you know that John Wimber, I went forward at one big conference and I committed to um, plant a church by the age of 25. And there's all these prophetic words. It was really, really exciting. And then the arts destroyed all those plans for me. The arts were a major wreck. I started writing songs the first time I grew my hair out and got ears pierced. It was too cool to then go uh, plant a church. That was too domestic. Actually, I was just too scared to do that. And I knew I'd probably screw it up somehow. So Brock was my big brother from the age of 18 to 27 or so when he left for, Cal uh, for California. Um, and so this became, I moved here in 98 to be a part of uh, the Bridgeway as it started. And I, I've been here since Wednesday. It was really, really hard to leave Oklahoma in 2006. And the only, only thing that could have gotten me away from here was God. And so we got the Kilmans and Matt and Leah Palmer in a discernment group because I didn't know how to trust God's voice on my own. And we heard this voice, yeah, Josh, you're supposed to go with my new, my wife at that point. I'd been married for a year. You're supposed to go to this college. And that was really scary. And I, I wept a lot in that departure. Um, so as we were in Advent, um, a lot of us want to rush into the holiday happy songs. Joy to the world, everything's great. But Advent is very much like Lent, which the Protestant church is creeping into understanding that we can prepare our hearts for the resurrection in Lent or the birth of our light of life. Unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given. That's enormous. So we have this 30 days of Lent to be reminded of our suffering preparing our hearts for the appearance of the king. And so I'm reminded during this time of the agony. I 
of the pain of not being able to be here. There's so many people in this city, in this room, that I love so dearly. So thank you for welcoming me home. It is good to be with you. Right now, my home in Michigan, the closest place that I would call to anything like this kind of fellowship, after being involved in campus ministries at Hope College for eight years and leading 1,200 college students in worship, after doing that four times a week, there's only really one person since 2006 that has reached out to me and said, hey, can we have a spiritual friendship? Can we pray together weekly? And that is the Augustine scholar, strongest Catholic I've ever met. It's in the religion department at Hope College. So Jared Ortiz, professor of religion at Hope College, is one of my deepest and dearest friends. And Jared and I and a group of others have gotten ourselves into prison visitations. So the other arena, other than Jared, where I find my deepest sense of home over the last four years is inside of E.C. Brooks Correctional Facility in Muskegon, Michigan. So we're going to be meditating on the darkness that we're walking in right now. We're going to look at the bad news before we can fully understand the good news. And let's just stop and be honest that there is something happening in our country right now that is very painful and very dark and very confusing. We are immersed in layers and layers of information and misinformation. We're bombarded by all of these things. And so I have ironically, this is only the spirit, I have found that the sanest, most holy place that I go on a regular basis is a group of 20 incarcerated men at a prison. So the nonprofit that we've started is a way for me to then build some sort of structure around my prison work. And so a lot of people get confused and they think that, well, he's in prison ministry, so that means that I'm going there to bring them God. What the invitation as a nonprofit is doing is actually the opposite. I go into the prison to discover Jesus amongst these broken men in a way that I don't see Jesus anywhere else in my, my life and in my ministry. And so I go in there and I pray with them twice a month for a whole day, and then I leave with my hair standing on end, feeling that I've been immersed in the presence and the love of God. And then I come back to the church and I say, can we clear off our eyes? Can we unclog our ears? Can we see that he came, this, this child that was born unto us, he came first. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to the prisoner, to the brokenhearted, to the orphan and the widow. And it's actually us who are going to the church with all of our strength and self-reliance who don't know how to get out of this prison of my strength and my power to embrace our weakness in the deepest parts of our bones and our body so that light will dawn inside of me. If I am so competent in all of my skills and sophistication, then it's really hard for Jesus to burst in and through me 
in the morning when I'm getting my kids to school or when I go to work. So Isaiah 9, let's pray. As we approach this, let's open our hearts, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would transform us into your Jesus bearers, that we would become pregnant with your light, that we would become full of your goodness, so that wherever we go, you would go, you would speak through us, you would love through us, you would heal through us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For you have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. And they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. So for the last five years, since I left Hope College in 2013, I have been largely a stay-at-home parent. Can I get a witness? Any stay-at-home parents? Come on, come on. Let's get it going here. I'm going to talk about a prison. <laughs> I taught high school and middle school before working at the college. And so I've learned the difficulties of being with children for large stretches of each day. Stay-at-home parenting is in the top 10 of the most stressful jobs that's right up there with a firefighter, airplane pilot, pilot uh, corporate CEO. Forbes reports that we calculate, if we were to calculate the hours that parents put into childcare, that's some 9,600 hours per week. If you calculated that in salary, that would be a salary on the national average of pay somewhere around $115,000. So to borrow from the language of Isaiah 9, staying at home Tending to the needs of children often feels like you're walking in a great darkness. As a spiritual director, it might be new vocabulary for some of you. <clears throat> what that means is I spend about 50 minutes in a session with an individual who comes to me with a spiritual question. I'm not the guru. I'm not their teacher. I'm not their mental health professional. I'm not their pastor. I am not even their spiritual friend. What I am as a director is a mirror. I listen, and then I reflect back to them where I hear God stirring inside of them. It's very similar to the prophetic ministry that you have been practicing and growing and nurturing here. Prophetic for sure, but it's much slower. It's much more quiet. One of my directees who's been meeting with me for a couple months is a stay-at-home mom. And she's been relating this crushing anxiety of not knowing how to be present to her children. She feels guilty that she doesn't want to get on the floor and play. She feels shame that she allows her mind to wander to the news 
to a show, to social media. So she feels a kind of heaviness. She feels guilty for not enjoying her time with her, her babies. This woman, this directee, is walking in a land of darkness. The light of Christ seems to her like a distant possibility. And so she comes to spiritual direction sessions to attend to her spiritual health and to refocus, to clean off the eyes of her heart. In our last session together, she began to consider how her resentments of her own parents, resentments for how distant her parents have been to her, she's explaining how perhaps this resentment, this distance from her parents, that this might have something to do with her distance from God and her distance from her kids. Her faith and her politics have morphed and changed over the years since she left their home. So she feels judged by her parents. She feels trapped in a prison of misunderstanding, in an agony of despair. Her great darkness then is made up of layers of resentment, these layers of resentment that cover her heart. And if she can't relate to her loved ones, then how is she to talk to God through those layers of resentment? Resentment is that cycle of anger that just won't stop. Resentment is active, it's a toxic grumbling, and it continues to tear at the soul. I can't believe that person. I can't, and it just keeps coming in and out. It comes from a French word, it's similar, resentment, which actually in the French gets at that cycle, that feeling. I can't believe. Anger by itself, on the other hand, anger, think about this, anger can be good. We don't need to dismiss our anger until we know what it's there to show us. So people that come to me are often ashamed of their anger, and that is actually right where God is because he's showing them something, and anger is actually the right posture to some injustice, some pain, some horrible memory, some abuse. The question is, what do we do with our anger? You know that feeling when we're angry, we open up, and instead of raging on and causing violence to someone, maybe in our anger we can open up and speak to God more boldly and clearly and tenderly and humbly. So anger can be very helpful. And so here we are in Advent in a season of longing for freedom from a yoke of burden. Most of us are trained, as I was saying before, to rush from Thanksgiving right into jingle bells. Joy to the world, everything's great. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Roasting. You know, that whole tone, that romance. I'm going to go buy more things. I'm going to give you something special, another cup of eggnog. That's wonderful. 
to be awesome. I don't want to shame anyone for being family-oriented in that. But the question of this is, are we aching in the midst of the land of darkness? Are we seeing, are we being honest about the darkness of the age of our communities, the darkness of my own heart? Let's listen once again to this scripture. And as I read through this again, consider the darkness that might be inside of you. So I invite you to open your heart, open the ears of your heart, let's listen, and let's let the Spirit speak to us through Isaiah 9. For the people are walking in darkness. They have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So prayerfully consider, what is your brand of darkness? As we approach the birth of our King, do you find yourself longing and aching? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? So the stay-at-home mother, she struggles to be present to her children in tender love as she entertains a constant low-level anxiety. It's a troubling sense of being lost from her own parents in the language of Isaiah 9. This is her yoke of burden. The resentment has become her oppressor. Resentment has become her prison. There's a kind of violence inside of her toward her parents. Advent is here for her not to rush into joy to the world, not to stuff her heart, mind, and soul with happy-go-lucky Christmas. It's not going to help this woman to simply just get over her pain. You know, honey, you just got to get over that. Because you know, he works through all, all these things. All things work together, right? Buck up. No, I need to pray honestly about the darkness I see because as I taste that darkness, the light will burst much more brilliantly. As a spiritual director, my question is how the Spirit is teaching this woman. My discipline is listening and asking these questions. I have to work pretty hard to get out of the way so that she can more freely move from a land of darkness into a land of light so that Jesus himself, through the Holy Spirit, can interact with her in the deepest parts of her being and dawn new light inside of her. So I don't tell her that I too have struggled for five years as a stay-at-home dad. It's not a spiritual friendship, so it's not reciprocal. I don't tell her about how I'd been a worship leader at a campus and about how I led these services so much that I found that I couldn't even talk to Jesus on my own because I was just up there singing another song. I don't talk to her about that darkness. 
I don't tell the mom how hard it's been for me to leave that job, which I thought was maybe the best job I'd ever have, and to come home while my wife goes back to the college as a full professor, how hard it's been for me to be at home and to sit on the floor and to play with Legos. I don't elaborate to her how hard it's for me to change diapers, to keep the kitchen clean, to pack lunches, get the boys off to school. I don't say to her, you know, wait until your boys get old and all that they do is fight, kick, and yell, and hit on each other. Just wait, it's gonna get great. I don't tell her how exasperated I was at the end of summer break and how glad I was that my boys were finally, finally, finally going back to school. Parenting is so hard that my little break, my respite, my little getting away from the anxieties of my home has been this trip to the prison twice a month. I joked once with the prisoners. I told them that I go to the prison to get away from my kids. But as soon as I said that, as soon as I said that, I could feel the sting of how insensitive that joke was. The 20, 30 men that I see month in and month out, most of them are dads. They'd give their left foot, their left arm to be bothered at home by kids that want to play Legos with them. So I'd taken their circumstance and made it cute for my sake to help me feel better about myself. Look at me, how important I am. I'm leaving. I'm a stay-at-home dad, by the way. I'm sacrificing. And now, better yet, I'm sacrificing by going into a prison. Look at me, how special I am. Oh, my. What insensitivity. What carelessness. I'm learning a lot from these men about how to speak and to be in broken places. To let go of my privilege, my power, my confidence, and to listen for Jesus with them. Yet, on the other hand, darkness is darkness. So when you're in darkness, there's no need for me to compare my darkness to the prisoner's darkness. They would actually be the first to say, no, man, that's really honest. That's where you're at. They would dignify what I've been through. They do this pretty regularly. So when my boys fight, six and eight, when they fight, I feel trapped. Brain scientists explain that when these little boys are getting angry, it's their brain stem. It's their amygdala that kicks in. It releases large doses of cortisol. And what happens when you get those large doses of cortisol, some therapists call this lizard brain. So if you've been in a fight and you're like, hey, I'm your love. We're good, aren't we? Resentment. And you're like, I can't, I can't break through lizard brain. Because when you get all that cortisol release, fight or flight is an action here. Either I'm coming back at you to swing or I have disappeared emotionally and cognitively. 
So my boys, I'm trying to like, hey, hey, snap out of it. Hey, hey, right over here. They're not. They, they trying to reason with these little, little monsters is, is just really impossible. They're beautiful monsters. So when I am in my best place, what I do with them, when I'm in my best place, this is when I've had exercise, I've been eating well, I'm not drinking late into the night, I'm practicing my prayer, my quiet, and I have a reservoir of peace, so I'm not reacting to their reactions. So when I'm in my best place, and they're going at it, bam, 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 what I do is I get, grab Casper, eight-year-old, and then I grab Shepard, six-year-old, and I say, hey, guys. And they're both like, eh, he started it. Ah, my, I was like, he did it. I, I can't believe it. And I'm like. I hear you. Someone has to choose kindness right now. We could spend, hey, do you want to spend an hour just talking about who's right and who's wrong? We could do that. But even when we've done that, someone is going to have to choose gentleness. Someone is going to have to choose forgiveness and patience. Someone's going to have to lay it down. Lay your guns down, shepherd. He's the one who goes big and loud when he gets mad. My older son gets quiet. But they both, that lizard brain is real. It's true. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, and they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. My friend Baby Boy has been in prison since 1972. He's a medium height, squat, stout man, and there's something strange about his teeth. I've never been close. I've hugged him several times, but I've never looked to see if it's because of a fight that he was in, that his teeth are all messed up. I've never asked him. But Baby Boy can sing. He's got soul. And being in a prison, we have to use levity and fun at times. So every once in a while, we'll just say, hey, baby boy, you got something for us? And he'll stand up and, and he'll go for it. And we'll laugh and he might do a little dance. But baby boy, I don't know what his crime is. I don't ask the guys what they're in prison for. They tell me that's their privilege. But I do know that he's been a fighter and I know that he is gang connected. So when two guys came to him and were sexually aggressing, they were, they were violent towards him, suggestive, not just to him, but all these other guys in his cell block, baby boy had a choice. So on one Saturday, we're in a group practice of spiritual direction. What that means is there's a group of, at the afternoon is usually smaller, and that means my time is up. Um, we're in a circle, baby boy's telling us, and he's reporting that one night he stayed up really late trying to figure out what he's going to do. Is he going to snap and have, have these guys taken out? Is he going to go violently himself? 
and he wrestled. He tussled with God. He struggled in the dark, in a land of darkness. And the next day, he said that he just went up to these guys and said, you got to stop messing with me, and you got to stop messing with all these young'uns. And when we asked him in direction, baby boy, this is where direction gets really specific. Where did that discernment happen inside of you? What snapped? What clarified? What in your spiritual eyes? What did you hear? How did you know that you could choose peace instead of violence? And at that moment, baby boy lost it in a flood of tears. And he said it was his love for the younger guys. He didn't care about his own safety. He just wanted to protect the young'uns. So it was love that was his discernment. So he's there, right there in the midst. He started, he's going to do it, he's going to do it. But he chose kindness. He chose gentleness. He chose peace. He chose patience. So as we look around at our society right now during Advent, we can know that there is a lot of pain. There's a lot of blaming. Most of our news feeds are set up with information that only prove that the other person is wrong. They're news feeds of resentment. This is broken. And if it's not the politics, it's something with our families something with our coworkers, something with our spouses, or something with our kids. The question is, who is going to choose kindness? For unto us a child was born. Unto us a son was given. And his name would be Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Almighty God, that even though he was in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be manipulated, something to run around and say, hey, don't you know that I'm God? You should shut up and sit down and listen to me because I'm right and you're wrong. I'm no, he didn't do that. He could have. But instead of going around to prove other people wrong, he became a child. He humbled himself and made himself vulnerable to the violence and the darkness. And it's that kind of vulnerability. This is the kingdom. This is the consciousness of Jesus. It is otherworldly. Where did baby boy get those resources? What am I hoping that my boys will choose? Not their own strength, but in their weakness to lay it down and to let light dawn in and through them so that the kingdom of God becomes manifest right here and right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we struggle with our darknesses, we struggle with our layers of confusion and hurt feelings. We know that you walked on this earth and that you are well acquainted with our suffering. So we pray that during this season, we would see with eyes of clearer faith a love and a light that is here to transform us to be more and more like you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.